we are in week three of our series, Rules of Engagement, uh, walking through how do you deal with the conflict that is inevitable in relationships. And uh, we've been a little bit up in your business uh, in this series. Pastor Jim last week uh, shared with us a word, and I, I was two weeks ago. And what we've really been talking about is what are some ground rules? How do you fight well? How do you navigate through uh conflict because the world will tell us one way and that's not really working for us but we believe Jesus has a way through conflict that leads us to life-giving relationships and so if you're willing to do the work of relationships we believe you can have flourishing honorable and joyful relationships and so uh, we've given you two of the ground rules so, so far the first one was that it's about a mindset of it's not about winning that if you come into any conflict with this idea of, I need to win this argument, you're going to already have lost the whole point of conflict resolution in a biblical manner is that it's not about winning the argument, it's about winning the relationship. And so it doesn't matter if you're right if you've lost the relationship. And so um, that is how you want to engage your relationships, pausing, okay, am I trying to win this argument or am I trying to win this person? Biblically, I'm called to win the person. Now, there may be times when the biblical gospel truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ causes someone to go this way and away from us, and that's different than we're having a disagreement about whether dinner was burnt or not, and I want to win that argument. So, so those are differences. So we're talking about interpersonal relationships here. The second one was that you need to own your part. That it's natural as we get into conflict to begin to look out and blame everybody out there. And, and what we said was as long as the problem isn't out there problem, as long as it's a you, as long as it's a circumstance, then I don't have to deal with what's inside of me. That's natural because we want to self-protect, self-preserve. And, and especially if you're one of those who suffers a lot with guilt, you're going to begin to push that back out because those feelings of guilt are really difficult to deal with. But also if you're a very proud person... You're not going to want to admit that, and so you're going to push it back out. We said the only way we find forward freedom in uh, conflict resolution is if we pause and open up and go, what's in here and what do I need to own? So whether that's 10% or 90%, we need to own up to what we have done wrong in relationships. And so that's the, the last two weeks that we've been talking about. And so I want to ask you this morning, have you ever had one of those moments in your life where you've made some choices and at the end of those choices, you, you just sit there and go, what a mess. You, you've said some things uh, on and on and on, and, and you got in an argument, and then you got back in your car, and you thought, how do I come back from that one? How, how do I fix it? I've had plenty of those circumstances in my life, unfortunately, where I've walked away from a situation and gone, that's going to take me two years to fix. That's going to take me six months to fix. And, and so uh, I want you to know if you've ever been there or if you've ever had something that has gone wrong inside, if you ever opened up and looked and gone, ew, I don't like what I see in there, there's some things we can do with that. Now, uh, what happens a lot when you open up your heart and you look inside and you own your part is you'll start to do a couple things. As you wrestle with guilt, as you wrestle with remorse, as you wrestle uh, with pride or, or whatever your go-to emotion is in those moments, um, you're going to try to do a couple things with them. And so you maybe not do all of them. Maybe you're bent to one direction. But likely what you're going to do is you're going to begin to minimize or downplay. One of our options is you'll minimize and downplay. So you're going to have that feeling and go, Maybe it's not as bad as it feels. You know, everybody messes up. Everybody says stuff they, they regret. You know what? Like, I, okay, sure. I made a mistake, but it wasn't that bad, right? 
You know, that's like you just begin to write this narrative in your head that it's not as bad as I think it is. What are you trying to do? You're trying to cope with the fact that there's feelings that you don't know what to do with. Okay? If that doesn't work for you, uh, maybe you're going to go to an emotional suppressant. And so this is where uh, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, uh, pornography, s- social media addiction, food abuse, all of those things come in. What are they? They're an emotional suppressant that I've come into conflict. I don't know what to do with these emotions, so I'm going to go to something that I know will suppress those emotions. And so there's a whole gambit of things that could be for you, but this is a very common go-to because it's sometimes more socially acceptable to do one of these things than it is to blow up. And so you're right. I didn't blow up, but I didn't know what to do with what I saw inside in that conflict, and so I went to one of these suppressants to hide it. That makes sense? So that's number two. The third one is that you'll, you'll double down. When you feel those feelings of guilt and shame, what you'll do is you'll just keep doing whatever you were doing. So I've started yelling, but now I feel bad about yelling, so now I'm just going to keep yelling because I don't know what to do with those emotions. And so anger gives me some sense of control over what I'm feeling, and it helps me feel like a win, and I need a win because I'm feeling guilty. Right? Do you, you see how backwards our thinking can be sometimes? And so you keep saying what you shouldn't say. You keep looking at what you shouldn't look at. You keep gossiping what you shouldn't be gossiping about. Or you double down. So you went this far, feel guilty about going this far, so now you go this far. That's the downward cycle of sin. Because guilt and shame are going to lead us to make choices that are wrong, and then that guilt and shame is going to lead us to make worse choices because we feel bad about ourselves. So, so those are the three most uh, common and natural ways that I see, hear, experience people processing what happens when they open up and look inside. And that last one is actually what a very prominent man in the Bible did. See, King David, the Old Testament king of Israel, very prominent man, sinned. He looked at a woman on a roof and said, I want her. So he took her, then he got her pregnant, And instead of, in that moment, stopping and dealing with it properly, what did he do? He doubled down. He tried to cover it up. He tried to smooth it over, so he brought his or her husband back. Well, that didn't work because he was an honorable man, and so his scheme didn't work, and so he had his, her husband killed. Well, what what was that? (laughs) That was a double down. I didn't go in the right direction. I did something wrong. I tried to cover it up, so it didn't work, so I doubled down on that, and so he had her killed. He ended up taking Bathsheba as his own cover-up, and you know what's so interesting about the story is he got away with it. Nobody knew. He had managed to cover up through his scheme and his sin what had happened. So nobody really knew what the, the whole thing with David and Bathsheba. I'm sure a few of his guards did, but nobody of any influence knew. But here's the thing about covering up sin is that we might be able to fool people, but God knows. There's, there's no fooling him. There's no covering up. There's nothing hidden from his eye. And so uh, God speaks to a prophet named Nathan, and Nathan is actually a friend of David and goes to David, and he says this to him. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1, The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. 
David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Isn't it interesting what we said last week was so true? That we become outraged when people sin differently than us? Here's David hearing this story going, How could he? How dare he? And he casts strong judgment on a man. When he is the man. See, it's interesting when we open up and discover what we see inside, it's always different when it's somebody else's. It's always more gross and disgusting when somebody else does it, but when I do it, it feels different. And so Nathan says, No, no, no. You do realize you just judged yourself here, David. You just cast judgment upon yourself for your sin, David. You're the man. Which leads us to our question today as I read this story. What do you do when you blow it? What do you do when you're in that place when you just mess up? And I would say it's called confession. It's not doubling down. It's not minimizing. It's not covering up. It's not hiding. It's not escaping. It's not suppressing. It's not all of the things that you've learned from the world. It's the one thing that Jesus calls us to do, and it's confession. And unfortunately, confession and repentance and forgiveness are some of the most poorly practiced things in our culture. And in fact, unfortunately, they're some of the most poorly practiced things within church. Because we hear everybody out there and think, oh, they're worse than me. We hear these stories and we go, oh, I'm good. I don't have to deal with that. Or we begin to confess like the world has taught us. And you know what? political confessions sound like, right? We hear them and you go, I feel like you just tried to make me the bad guy out of that one. <laughs> I feel like you tried to push this on me. And, and I think there's a couple reasons why we're really, really bad at confession or why we contend to be bad at confession. One is we, we just don't really know right and wrong. I mean, like we do, but we don't really understand the depravity of our sin. We have a hard time coming to terms with it. And so um, we, we look in at our sin and go, I don't really know what to do with this. And what that is really is a lack of understanding of the gospel. It's just revealing that we don't know what the cross really means for us. And so we don't participate in active confession. And I would say that the second thing is, is we know what to do. We know we should confess. We just don't want to do it. And we just don't want to go through the hard work of dealing with what we discovered on the inside. This is why when you get in an argument with your significant other, um, you try to make it even out to 50-50, right? Like, you on your part, I own my part, we good, we're both wrong, yep, good, let's go get ice cream, right? What is that? I don't want to have to own and confess where I've gone wrong. And so we'll, we'll do a lot of blame shifting and shuffling of the cards to avoid this stuff. But unfortunately... There's no freedom without confession. There's no relational freedom. There's no uh, freedom with the Lord without confession and repentance. And so uh, while this is an incredibly uncomfortable conversation, I know this conversation leads to a place of victory in your life. And so uh, what I want to do today is actually look at a passage of Scripture that helps us learn how to confess. Because I don't want you to ever walk out of here and go, you know what, I just don't know how to confess. Here's the message today where you can find the freedom as you walk through uh, confession. And what's so interesting to me about the passage is that it's the very man we just read about. 
Psalms 51 is actually a, a Psalms of David in which when he was confronted, when he finally uh, came to terms with what he saw inside, he, lit, he penned out his confession to the Lord, and there's incredible gold in here for us to learn. And so we're going to spend the rest of our uh, time today working through Psalms chapter 51. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there uh, with me. Psalms 51, verse 1. This is what David says. It says, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Now David starts this after having just been confronted by uh, Nathan about Bathsheba, and this is what he says. He says, have mercy on me, O God. He clings to God's mercy, and then here is something very important. He says, according to what? Your unfailing love. You know what he doesn't do here? He doesn't say, you know what, God, have mercy on me. I've been a pretty good person lately. You mean, if you look at my track record, God, and and where I've been and what I've done for you, I think I deserve a little extra forgiveness right here because I've been pretty faithful lately. Anyone ever feel like you've done that in some confession, right? All right, God, I think I've earned some bargaining chips with you here. That's not what David says. It's not based on my character, but on your unfailing love, on your great compassion. He says, my only hope is your character is better than mine. So he begins his confession by clinging his hope, not on his goodness, but on God's goodness. He says, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 3, for I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. David says, I've been living with this for a long time. It's been in the back of my mind, and I thought I was just waiting. I was wondering when somebody would finally know. I, I, I see my sin. He doesn't say it wasn't as bad as it seems, God. He says it's been in front of me this whole time, which leads us to our first step, that we need to take full responsibility for our sin. We need to take full responsibility for our sin. Not at once does he say, you know what, it was really Bathsheba's fault. She shouldn't have been up there. He doesn't blame his accountability partner for not asking him good questions. He doesn't blame the fact that he was tired and it was a bad circumstance. And how often do we run to that one? Oh, I was tired and that's why I was angry. No, he says, no, no, no. It was in front of me and I take full responsibility for the fact that I chose that. Now, how often when, when we are questioned or asked to take full responsibility, do we begin to try to shift it other ways? And James chapter 1 won't let us get away with that. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. James says, David chose that because of his own desires. I chose my sin because something inside of me is broken. Jesus puts it this way. Next verse. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And so no one can make you say anything, no one can make you do anything that wasn't already predispositioned inside of you to come out. Now that's not what the world is teaching us about confession, is it? But the Bible would say, when you pause and go, you know what, every inch of evil in here came because I chose to let it come out of me, you begin to own everything that needs to be owned. And it's just like a wound in your leg. 
You know, you get a wound in your leg or you get a wound in your body and you only want to clean half of it because you only want to take half responsibility for what happened. You want to blame God. You want to blame circumstances. You want to blame uh, Satan. You can't do that. Why? Because what happens is if you only clean half that wound, what happens to the other half? It's going to deteriorate and eat away your leg. And the same is true of sin. And so really, truly, the only ones we're not, the, really the only ones we're hurting by not owning our sin is us. Because we've allowed that sin to remain as a foothold. And so there's freedom, actually, in fully owning everything that we have chosen to do. He continues on. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. He says, you know what? I've hurt a lot of people around me, but my first and primary offense is actually against God. The one who I've offended the most in everything that he had just done between murder and adultery and cover-up and scandal. He said, my greatest offense is actually against God. And it's so important that we, we go here in our next step that we would uh, recognize that our sin is actually against God because, this is our second thing, that you recognize your sin is against God because if you cut God out of this step, what's going to happen is you're going to find yourself halfway into a relationship not really wanting to fix it anymore. Because you're going to run out of willpower. You're going to run out of strength. And so you need to pause and fix your relationship with God first because it is primary. And if that relationship is right, I now have the strength to walk into every other aspect of the relational restoration that needs to happen. So David, David here says something so interesting. He says, you and you alone have I sinned. And so often we're going to run to try to fix the horizontal things first because we don't want to have to deal with or because we want reprieve from the horizontal consequences, but we need to deal with the vertical ones first. And actually, it's, it's quite interesting. As you examine your own heart, and as I've examined my own heart in this, when you're consistently repenting, it actually shows great maturity in your faith. You know, a lot of people think that when you stop repenting and stop confessing that you're, you know, you're mature, and the more mature you are, the less you'll confess and repent. And I found it to be the total opposite. The more I walk with the Lord, the more I find myself confessing. Because before I used to confess of just actions and things, but now God's got me confessing from motivations and intentions and desires, and I realize I'm way more sinful than I ever thought I was. Now, is that a bad thing? No, it means the Holy Spirit is allowed to shine brightly in me, and so consistent confession before the Lord is actually a beautiful thing. Maybe you find yourself in a pattern of sin or choosing some sin, and you'll only occasionally repent when the guilt gets really, really bad. When you just can't handle those feelings anymore, well, that would mean your relationship is primarily driven by guilt and fear. That your relationship with the Lord is only of, oh no, I don't want to get crushed, and oh no, what if people found out I have to do something with this? And so uh, a relationship driven by guilt and fear really isn't going to lead you to life and, and godliness because you're always going to be operating out of trying to not get caught or punished. See the difference there? One says, God knows everything about me, I'm free to confess and free to find healing. The other one says, I hope God doesn't find everything out about me. Oh man, this is too much. Let me finally give it up so he doesn't come get me. Or there's the last one, which uh, is in a pattern of sin and just chooses not to repent. Well, well, that would be an indicator that you don't have much of a relationship to speak of with the Lord. It means that you, you love your sin more than you love God. And now, now here's the deal. We don't all get this right all the time. There's times that we all hesitate to confess. There's times that we all hesitate to come clean. And that's exactly uh, where David goes next. And he says, I need some help in this area, God. He, he says this in verse uh, 10. 
Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant a willing spirit to sustain me. He says, I don't have what it takes to create a right heart within me because I want to hide. I, wanna deal, I don't want to deal with this. I want to hide in guilt and shame. I don't want to come clean. And David says, oh God, I need help. God created me the heart that I need. God created me the desires that I need. We said last week that it's our desires that lead us astray. And David just straight up says, I don't have what it takes. God, I need you to come in and create the heart that I need. Because uh, though I desire a relationship, my, my flesh doesn't always desire a right relationship with you, which is our, our, our next one. We need to desire a right relationship with God. It's not enough just to not have God mad at us. It's not enough to just not feel guilty about it anymore. We have to re-pursue a right relationship with God. That desire would change because if the desire doesn't change to be for the Lord, it's going to continue to move towards sin. Do you, do you see that? And so my heart motivation moves towards righteousness. It's always going to fall towards sinfulness, if not towards Righteousness. There's no middle ground. So I have to re-pursue a relationship with the Lord. And I love this. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. You know that moment when you first got saved, you've made that decision to follow Jesus, the joy and exuberant passion of, wow, God would rescue me. I'd do anything for God. I want to be in a relationship with God. He says, give me that childlike excitement again. I've seen my sin, and it's ugly. But God, I see your salvation, and it's beautiful. Restore to me that joy. And then he says, sustain me. Give me a willing spirit to sustain me. He says, the battle against sin is difficult. And the battle forward of confession and repentance and restoration is difficult. And he says, sustain me. Give me everything I need for that. How different would your arguments, conflict, and disagreements look if you even started with these three? (laughs) How different would your marriage look if you took full responsibility for your sin? How different would your uh, friendships look if you recognized that when you spoke poorly of a friend, you actually spoke poorly of God's creation and broke one of his commands and your heart was broken over that? How different would your confession look if you did it out of a desire to be in a right standing with the Lord, not just right standing with people? You see, the Lord takes restoration to, to a whole different step. And the beautiful thing is it's not where it ends. Verse 13 says this, Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Do you hear that? He says, I'm going to use my failure, I'm going to use my sin to make the gospel look really, really good to people around me who are sinners, which is why I'm up here regularly confessing to you which is why I don't ever pretend to be something I'm not, which is why I'm very honest with you about my shortcomings and failures. Why? Because it's not about me looking good. It's about the gospel looking good through me. That through my confession in front of you, I might have no holds of sin in my life and that you too could see that you could have no holds of sin in your life. So he says, I'm going to use the broken parts of my life so that other people might see the good news and turn back. To you, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. David says, I'm going to make things right, which is our next one. We need to be willing to make things right. It's not enough just to confess. It's not enough just to deal with the Lord. And a lot of times we can stop right here and go, well, if God and I are good, then that's fine. 
Bible won't let us get away with that. It'd be a lot easier if we could stop here, would it not? But the reason why we come here first is because God won't let us rest until this one is true. The word of God says if you have an offense against a brother or sister, leave it, your gift at the altar and go make that right. So we got to go back in and have humbling conversations. Hey, I lied to you. I spoke ill of you. I gossiped. I got angry. Forgive me. What do I need to do to make this right? You know what I find so interesting is that when we take full responsibility for our sin, our apologies are really, really short. (laughs) Messed up, no excuses, forgive me. As opposed to when we're trying to minimize and blame shift. You know how long those apologies are? (laughs) Well, it was because when I walked in the room, the temperature was 69 degrees, and that really upsets me, and then you know, you said that thing, you know, like they just get really, really long. (laughs) But when we just own it, it's, that was on me. I chose that. Forgive me. You know how freeing that is? It hurts in the minute. You know how freeing that is to just go, I'm going to make whatever is wrong right. And that means I have to be willing to accept the consequences of my choices. It means that, yes, forgiveness can be granted, but there are still natural consequences to the choices that we make, which is what David said here. There's natural consequences to David's choice. He lost, his, he lost the child. There was some consequences. Now, did God forgive him? Yes, but he had to work through what his wrongs had cost. And on the other side of working through that, there is freedom, but it's difficult in the meantime, which leads us to our third ground rule for the series, which is we need to apologize. So you need to own where you've gone wrong. Or you need to, excuse me, um, realize it's not about winning. You need to own your part, and then you need to apologize. Simple, not profound, but it can change everything about how you do relationships. We have, we have one more, which is our, our last one for today. He says this, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You would not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. The last thing for us this morning uh, is that it's not about a change of behavior, it's about a change of heart. It's not about just uh, managing your behavior. What does he say there? He says, you can't make this up to God. There's no amount of sacrifices to make up for your sin. You don't need to try to come and get back in God's good graces by doing good things and changing your behavior. He says, what you need is a change of heart. And praise be to God that he has allowed a a way for us to have a new heart. It's at the cross of Jesus Christ in which he takes our broken, sinful heart and he makes all things new. You see, it's a beautiful thing when you don't have to make up your wrongs to God because God looked at all the wrong you were ever going to do and all the wrong I was ever going to do, and he sent Jesus to pay that penalty. He sent Jesus to the cross for all of those sins, which blows my mind when I look inside and I'm unwilling to confess (laughs) because it's already paid for. It's already covered. The debt has already been absolved. And so why not confess? Well, I might lose status. Listen, David didn't confess and he lost a whole lot of status. Why not come clean? Well, because what are they going to think of me? Man, we got to worry a lot more about what the Lord thinks of us than what they think of us. And in fact, I would bet in our culture today that genuine confession goes a long way to build character and reputation. 
I bet we're all pretty tired of people trying to hide and cover up. And if we could just say to people around us, to our spouse, to unsafe people, you know what, I really messed up here, but praise be to God, I have a Savior who has covered all of this. Let me tell you about the God who rescued me from myself. See, we need constant reminders that, that you and I need a new heart. That happens through prayer. That happens through sitting in the Word of God. But it also happens through communion. So Jesus gave us communion as the reminder that you have some broken things inside of there and you can't fix us and you can't fix you and I can't fix me, but Jesus already has. And so today isn't a message of disheartening, it's a message of rejoicing. It'd be a disheartening message if there was no end to sin, but there is an end to sin and it was at the cross of Jesus. And if you have uh, put your faith in Jesus, you have access to freedom strongholds can be broken, the darkness can be lifted, the thing that you hope nobody ever finds out is covered, dealt with at the cross of Jesus. So as we partake of communion in a few minutes, I want to give you a few minutes just to pause. If you're here and you haven't put your faith in Jesus, the word of God would encourage you to let this cup pass. But if you're here and maybe there's some things inside of your heart that you need to deal with, some, some sin you have to confess, the word of God would say, get Get yourself in right standing. Have a right relationship with the Lord as you uh, move into this one. And then we're going to rejoice together. We're going to partake in a few minutes. So, so I'm going to give you a few minutes just to pray and process and see if there's anything in there that the Lord would be after. David, in another one of his psalms, says this. He said, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, and through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy on me, and my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Church, what good news we have in the gospel. What, what opportunity we have for rejoicing that everything we've ever done wrong is taken care of and forgiven at the cross of Jesus. What freedom we get to have as we move forward in life, the guilt of our past choices don't have to define us anymore. What rejoicing. And Jesus with his disciples wanted them to remember this truth, that somebody paid the price for them that they could be free. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup. And he said, this is the blood of my new covenant, meaning you don't have to earn God's favor. Jesus earned it for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we thank you. As we wrestle with an uncomfortable and, and heavy conversation about sin, God, we thank you that it's not the end of our story. God, we thank you that the worst moments of our life and the worst choices we've made aren't the most defining characteristic about us, but it can be that we've been covered by the blood of Jesus. 
I pray for every heart in this room who may be wrestling with some sin or wrestling through um, temptation. God, I pray that they would walk in light and openness with that. God, I pray that there would be a freedom in the light for each individual in here. God, I pray that if anybody is in this room and has never uh, accepted the good news of Jesus that says we've been covered, I pray that today would be the day that you receive the gift of salvation. Lord, we need you. There's so many things around us in this world that would pull us astray. There's so many uh, broken opportunities and broken relationships and ways that we can go wayward, God. And we just, in humble confession this morning, say, God, create in us a clean heart. We don't have what it takes to create that clean heart in ourselves, God. And so we ask that, that you would pour your spirit onto each one of us, that you would give us a willing spirit to sustain us, God. We want to choose life. We want to choose freedom. We want to choose to honor you in everything that we do. We want better relationships, God. And so lead us into those. And we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.